You going to help me read these? Uh, this is a long passage. I decided to have the better reader in the family. If it was math, it would be mine. <laughs> and for other reasons. Are you right? Yeah, right. I, thought, I thought it was the passage itself. It might, it might have a little reading. something to do with okay. it. Okay. Let's get started. Ephesians 5, 21 through 33. And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church, as the church submits to Christ. So you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands... This means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Well done. So tomorrow, in case you didn't know it, is Valentine's Day, and we decided to move up this passage out of Ephesians. So we skipped a few verses. We'll come back to them next week. We tried to get to this, this little passage about marriage. At the end, it has a couple really key, key words in there. I don't know if you picked it up, but the, the writer is quoting from Genesis 1, and uh, chapter 2, I mean, and he's actually going to summarize. He says, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. And the two are united as one. So you actually have this leaving. And then if you use an old translation, this is what they call cleaving. So leaving is like I, I left my mom and dad, and you left your mom and dad, and then we, we were one. We were, we were new. My daughter left us and married her husband. Israel left us and married Hannah, who's in the room right now. Now when I call, I ask when Israel calls me and asks for advice, I'll go, what does what's Aunt, what's Hannah think? Or what does Timmy think? That's my new role as a father because we, they left us, left us, and, and they uh, started this new thing, right? <laughs> and then there's this cleaving part, which often, I mean, when we think of cleaving, I always have positive ideas of cleaving because like, it gives a little bit of a physical connotation to it. So, like, we became one flesh. That's pretty awkward to say on, on stage, right? Like, hey, we started. With me next yeah, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Touch you right now. See? Remember the first time we held hands? Oh, my. Yes, how could I forget? Can you tell the story? They called him smooth. They know that. <laughs> well, I'm not sure everyone knows that, but we were sitting on a park bench outside of our um, college facilities, and as nightfall was coming and the stars were coming up and the sun was going down, Oof. he moved his pinky and took my pinky, then moved the next finger and took the next finger. I don't even remember. I, I mean, it was, it was amazing. <laughs> That was smooth. Good. I was scared out of my mind. I figured I'd risk one finger at a time. <laughs> but it came out I good. I didn't push you away. You didn't push me away. So that was a good thing. 
There's, uh, we've been doing this now for 35 years since that date. We've been married for 32. So when we hold hands now, feel the same? Exactly the same as the first time? What are you trying to say? Are you saying that the sparks are gone? I'm just saying, like, <laughs> 35 no, years. No, it, it isn't, it isn't exactly It's not the same. same. Nope. Doesn't have those same right. fireworks that it once had, and yet it's got a whole lot more proof in the pudding, right? Like when the first time we held hands, a lot of that was about me. I was like, I wonder if she'll hold my hand. I'm, see, listen, this, I'm trying to figure out if she's into me. And now there's this question, like, we got 35 years of proof in the pudding, and now we're holding it like that then. We, we always, we never, we, got, we want full contact, right? <laughs> Back in the day. Every finger. So our first year of marriage was, what's one word? Volatile. Rocky. Rocky. Sorry, was that a bad word? <laughs> no, volatile's good. Volatile's good. Rocky and volatile, yeah. Yeah, yeah it was that. So where are we at now? 32 years in. Uh, more mature, much more mature. Yep. Um, just much more stable and understanding. Hey, and how about that? Really good. If there's one thing I could do better this year. Just one. <laughs> I figured one thing fix okay. everything. Um, what would it be? Probably, for me, words of affirmation. You mm. serve really well, mm. but you, you like to fix, fix things. But words of like affirmation would be nice. More. Those more. More. Yes. Yeah. So 32 years, we're still working on it, and yet it's got all this proof in the pudding. I want to do one more thing for you, Lee. Uh, okay. Is that cool? Yeah. So I wanted to stand up here with my wife and make this statement. This is a declaration. This according to the scriptures that we just read. It says that it's a great mystery. There's a lot of nights I believe this is a great mystery. I'm like, how in the heck does this? you got two selfish people join their lives together. Somehow we're still together and we're both alive in the process. Like, like there's this, this is a great mystery. But the scripture says it's a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So every Sunday we set out bread and juice and we remind ourselves. Jesus said to do this in remembrance. We remind ourselves that he sacrificed himself on the cross so that we could have a relationship with him. And then when you see a marriage, just this one. It's got all kind of flaws. We could probably take our time and tell everybody. But this is a picture of Christ in the church, and that, that's by design. We took a little test last night, which you guys, would love for you all to take them. It's, it's done by Focus on the Family. I wrote it down, Focus on Marriage Assessment. If you want to write that down, the Focus on Marriage Assessment. And it took me about eight minutes. Pretty easy to answer the questions. What did we learn? What did we learn from that? We actually had a lot of similarities in, in answers. It was good. Yep. So what were things we needed we to work on? We talked through it afterwards, which, which was fun. Yep. Our, our things that we were not good at, we had the same two things. Except yep. I can't remember one of them. One of them was... That may be why we don't not very good at it. <laughs> <laughs> one was time, because I think we... Was time the bottom one? Yep, time. <clears throat> we choose to do different things sometimes. You like going to all of... Now that we're empty nesters, he goes to all of y'all's kids' games now. Support it. And I just can't go to every game because I've got things to do. So. What Super Bowl with me tonight? Probably a little bit, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, time. That was one of the things where we, we got different interests, and so we, we got to be careful that doesn't pull us apart because Cheryl likes some stuff, and I like some stuff, so we have to, I got to watch some, some musical junk on TV sometimes, and right. you watch, we got to do some of that together, yep, right? That's right. Well, thank you. Thank Love you. you. All right. So this passage about marriage. And what I really wanted you to catch, if you catch nothing else, is that this is an illustration of Christ in the church. My, my marriage, your marriage, the marriages around you, marriages of folks that don't know Jesus, 
doesn't matter. They're all pictures. That institution is a picture of Christ in the church. Uh, you turn a movie on this afternoon, a, a rom-com or just a straight-up drama romance movie. What are they going to emphasize? It's going to be all about the start. They're going to talk all about the moment when I slid my pinky over her pinky, right? It's going to be all about the electricity of the chemistry between a, a, a man and woman. That's the whole movie is going to be about that first little bit of pursuit in relationship. If you get like a special one, like the classics, generally they'll maybe come back to the couple at the very end of life, right? And it'll show that they're still in love and There'll be something dramatic, like they'll die in each other's arms or something crazy like that, right? That, they're going to try to capture the romance in it all. Rarely do they show, have a movie where it shows the middle, right? Like we're 32 years in, so the first year for us was kind of rocky, but we were just married. Like we're, we're riding down the road, and we got the stuff on the back, so there's also all this electricity. We, we argued, but we also had all this greatness between us, and then we started having kids and owning stuff, and breaking stuff, and, and we got all those years in the middle where conversations came offline and we, we did damage to one another, all that in the middle. Nobody makes a movie about that unless it's pointing to the end of a marriage in some new romance. God, in his great wisdom, compares his love to the church, to the, to the whole thing, to the institution, to this thing called marriage between a man and a woman world. They love the world chemistry. They want to emphasize the chemistry between a man and a woman. So, so if you lose the chemistry, then try to get it again with somebody else. God in his wisdom uses a word called covenant. Covenant is a binding promise of future love, meaning, meaning that this is long-lasting it goes on and on. The world keeps saying it's got to be spontaneous. There's no passion. There's the, the, the sexual part of a relationship goes away because there's no more spontaneity. And yet God says deep love is about a promise. Man, when I first held Cheryl's finger, like the, the, the sparks flew. The first time I kissed Cheryl, the sparks literally flew. She put her forearm in my chest and shoved me back across the car. It was, it was really awkward. I didn't touch her again forever. Right? Like I, she, she wasn't ready for that moment. I was ready for that moment. She wasn't ready for that moment. And so she let me know. Ladies in the room, young ladies, work on the forearm extension. That works great. <laughs> Boom. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you. I was like, hey, hey oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Like I, it was a, this immediate, like she's working through when's the right time for this thing. And I'm working through, I wanted to do this. Why? Because it was about me. Right? I wanted to see if she was into me. Like, uh, uh, does you want this from me? It wasn't as much about her as it was about me. I, I mean, I liked her, but it was about me. And oftentimes at the beginning, the start, what the movies are about, a lot of times it's about your own ego. And uh, we hold hands on stage now. It's not, not near. I mean, you see any sparks fly. It was just like normal. We've been doing that for all those years, and we got all of that proof in the pudding all the meaning to that, all the moments where we work through stuff, it's all right there. That looks a whole lot more like love than the beginning. Now, beginning's fun. Younger people in the room, we're excited for you. It's fun. The beginning's fun. I'm not, I'm not cracking on it. I'm just saying, man, when you, when you think about the church, Christ in the church, you think about marriage, you think about the long haul. There's a poet. I don't read a whole lot of poetry. I know that shocks y'all. Uh, poets love to like put their first two initials. I don't understand that. Like just 
Anyway, this W.H. Alden, this is a great quote. He says, any marriage, happy or unhappy, is infinitely more interesting than any other romance, however passionate. That was pretty good because nobody believes that. Any marriage, happy or unhappy, is infinitely more interesting than any romance, however passionate. So what is, what is this thing we call love, right? This thing called, particularly in this passage, between a man and a woman, he's actually imploring the men to love their wives. It's a passage, ladies, that holds women high. It's imploring men, particularly in that culture, that really didn't think that way. Hey, this relationship is designed for you to love. You know what love means? Love means seeking the highest good for another person. That means it's all about them. So after 32 years of doing this, there's been a pretty big change in my attitude where at the beginning it was a lot more about me. And over the course of time, some of the rough edges have gotten rubbed off. And now it's more about her. That's the way it's supposed to be. That's difficult. I don't know about the rest of you. The, the weaving our lives together. So if you leave your parents and you cleave to one another, the weaving our lives together has been complex and painful at times. Passage says, so again I say each man, verse 33, must love his wife as he loves himself. I don't know about you, but I love myself. It actually refers to, uh, it says no one hates his own body. My feet were hurt another day. I am so focused on my feet hurting. Anybody, anybody old enough to have the feet hurt yet? Yeah, good. I'm, a few of y'all, some of y'all have no idea what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about a sprained ankle. I'm talking about just my feet hurt. I don't know why. They just hurt. Like, and I'm focused on I'm trying to figure it out. What, what can, I, can I take and leave with that, with that take away? The, I'm going to say with that leave the pain. Yeah, it would. But anyway, there's like this. There's, I'm going to deal with that pain. And he says I'm supposed to focus on Cheryl like that? Like it's, it's supposed to be as much as I love myself, I'm supposed to seek the highest good for her at my expense. And then it says, and a wife must respect her husband. So you have this picture of love and respect. We use the definition for marriage when we did the he, she, his series. And it was this, one mortal life fully shared between a man and a woman. I love the word mortal because it just sounds dramatic. One mortal life fully shared between a man and a woman. We are one. Cheryl and I, we're one. The marriage is in the room. Whether you feel like it or not right now, you're one mortal life. And so according to this, in order to weave these two selfish people together, I'm going to need some respect, and she's going to need some love. We're both going to need love and respect. But it seems by design, as God designed this thing, that I'm going to really desire respect. We did this uh, marriage conference last weekend. Cheryl and I, we rarely ever done anything like It's kind of awkward for us. We did three sessions, and then the guy who pulled the whole conference together uh, wanted us to do uh, a breakout session each. And so the, in the breakout session, he had me sit with all the wives and had Cheryl sit with all the husbands. Talk about scared. I was scared. I was sweating. I kept thinking, why is it so hot? And I got sweat coming off my shirts all wet. I was like, what are they going to ask? It was just Q&A. I couldn't control the content. Evidently, Cheryl controlled the content. She just talked, and they had to listen, which I'm sure was interesting in and of itself. I like, do you guys got any questions? And then they started coming. I'm like, oh, crud. Like, I need to answer them right for them, and I also need to answer them right for those dudes in the other room over there, right? Like, I need to get this right. You know what the questions were almost exclusively about? 
So why does he feel disrespected when I say blank or do blank? Like they really wanted their marriage to work. And, and I'm answering these questions. It was, it was kind of comical because like you wouldn't be offended if I said blank, would you? I'm like, what am I supposed to say? That? Yeah, I'll be offended. Like that, and they're like, why does that feel disrespectful? I'm like, because I'm not a little boy. I don't need a mama anymore. Right? Anybody understand that? Like, telling me to send an email. I know how to send emails. I don't need to be, like, and there's this, and they're going, really, that, that made you feel disrespected? I'm like, yeah, it did. And funny thing, other room, same thing's happening. Guys are asking Cheryl, like, why doesn't my wife feel affirmed when I do blank? And she goes, because that's not affirming. That's, that's what you think's affirming. That's not what she thinks affirming. It turns out this deal with men and women is really complicated because they, in one room, they're really trying to understand this respect word. In the other room, they're really trying to understand this love word, and it, it's complicated. And yet it seems to produce, when done well, it seems to produce transformed people over the course of time. It's interesting, uh, in our world today, if you listen to the latest pop song, country song, whatever song, uh, the song is going to say, um, I want somebody to affirm me in the sense that, that I want somebody that won't change me. I want somebody that loves me just like I am and does not expect me to change. Is that really love? That means they love you exactly how you are right now, and they wish nothing better for you. That means they're never going to tell you the truth to save your behind. I don't sound like love to me. That sounds like two people cohabitating, trying to uh, make themselves individually happy by using the other. Love actually brings truth into the conversation. When you read this passage, it says that, that Christ, the way he loves the church is that he changes her. Check it out. It says, for husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. When Christ died for the church, but as he pursued the church, he was hoping for the very best for the church. And so he died on the cross so that he could literally clean you. One passage in the scripture said that you would be made white as snow, spotless. So by his death on the cross, he makes you and I clean so that we can have relationship with him. So his broken body and his blood spilled. We do this every Sunday. They're stacking them today, by the way, so you just got to grab one. That's the new, it's the new design. But this, this event makes us clean when we believe. If you haven't believed, you're not clean. If you believed, you're clean. And so, therefore, we're worthy to come here and spend time with the living God as our bridegroom. He's mine and I'm his because of his death. He made me clean. So if you believe in Jesus, you, you need to just go ahead and understand. He's expecting change. He's going to change you day one, like you're going to be totally redeemed and clean. And then day two, he's going to want you to continue to change, to be like him. And what, what I found over the course of time, the more time I spend with him over the years, I become more and more like him. Now, he's perfect. So only one person in a relationship can be changed. In a marriage, 
generally, both people, not generally, always, both people need to change. And so when you put the two people together, if, if we love one another, then we're going to force change because we want the best for the other. I'll give you a couple ideas. I, I stole these from Tim Keller. He, he said we ought to expect confrontation. Let me be really careful with that. Because when you say expect confrontation, that might give somebody permission to go home and, and argue completely out of bounds. Some of that could even be deemed abusive. So this is zero permission for that. It means that two people that are really different are going to come together. And if you put Cheryl and me in, in a bag, right, you put us in a bag, then eventually we're going to knock off some of those rough edges. It doesn't mean that we have to fight and throw stuff, right, and use foul words. That's, that's not where this is going. But to get married and expect there to be no confrontation and it to look like some, uh, something that Hollywood produced is just not, not real. As a matter of fact, the confrontation, the differences actually make us holy and right when done, when done well. Some of the things that happened to us, uh, I was really, like, I was taught from childhood to hold my cards tight. So when I got home from work and Cheryl asked me how the day was, what did I say? Good. I really, I never said bad. I never said great, just good. And she would look at me like, something, something had to happen more than that. And then I'd be like, no, it was a good day. I mean, I don't even remember really what happened. I mean, and, and eventually she just get irritated. Like, you got to say something. I, we're together. We're, we're one. Like, what happened at work? And so it took me years, still working on it, to be quite honest, to learn how to process the day in like longer than a one-minute like four sentence explanation. I'm up to about two paragraphs now. She's really thankful. She taught me that. She changed me. By being with her and her desire to know me, I had to change. That was good for me. Now, Cheryl, I asked her something, and it's like seven pages long description of one conversation. Now, this can go either way. In, this isn't a, a male-female thing. This could go either way in relationships. And I'll be like, eventually, I'll be like, baby, I could, could you get to the punchline? Like, I got is there a punchline? Really? I mean, like, we just, and, and what was really good for that was it actually helped her in some other relationships. So she had to start working on, like, instead of three-hour meetings, maybe, maybe hour and a half meetings. Like, how are we going to work this in together? Like, we merged together. Instead of just fighting to be the same as we were when we met, we grew from being together. Some of that was painful. Sometimes we said it in the wrong ways. But, man, when you believe you're cleaned and this picture of marriage of Christ and the church, this, this, the design of a man and woman being together, is supposed to change you. So it would be good for our, our students and folks thinking about being married in the future. Go ahead and embrace that fact. You're going to change. As a matter of fact, your marriage isn't very good if you haven't changed. That means the truth really hasn't been presented and you haven't, unless you were perfect when you got married, you, you haven't changed to meet the needs of your spouse. It's really simple but great thought. It also ought to impact everybody in the room who might be dreaming about being married because then you want to think about who do you choose, right? You want to choose somebody who's willing to change over the course of life. Like generally, the way we're coached to do that, again, is look for chemistry. First time I saw Cheryl, I'm like, good gracious, right? And she was singing. I like, I like people who can sing because I can't. So she was singing on the stage, and I saw her like, I mean, it was straight up attraction, right? Like I was attracted. And then I threw a football a couple days later, and she could catch it. I'm like, that's the trifecta. I mean, my goodness, like that, 
And, and so there's this deep attraction. There's nothing wrong with that. And we're excited for all of you on that. But there's these parts like if Cheryl married me for what I could do when I was 21, how disappointed must she be now? Right? I mean, I can't run around the neighborhood without my knees hurt. And I quit because my knees hurt. Right? And when JT, we're playing basketball, and he hits me in my chest with his rear end, I feel like I'm going to die. <laughs> At 21, I'd have fouled his butt hard, right? Like right, right then. I just bought a split axe, two pounds lighter, because I can't swing the eight-pound one anymore, right? I got to swing the six-pound one. She looked out the window and said, I look sexy. She didn't know I was swinging a lighter axe, right? Like... <laughs> If she married me for who I was when I was 21, and, and that was the expectation, that's just, that's, that's, that's not love, right? Instead, I've changed, and she can celebrate this movement of my life over the course of 35 years of knowing each other, of change, because she's a part of that, and I'm a part of hers. One of the things that was cool about Cheryl that stood out to me, we were, we were at a Christian school. Cheryl was a little crazy, she'll tell you that, but she was, she was moving toward Christ. She wasn't plateaued. A lot of people at the school, they knew what to say. They had all the cliches memorized, but they were, they were just kind of flat. There was no movement. Cheryl was moving, and 32 years later of marriage, she's continued to move. Now, it's, it's like this, right, for both of us, but man, when you're, when you're looking for somebody, if you're single, you're looking for somebody, you're looking for somebody moving, spiritually primarily and some of the other stuff's great there should be some attraction it's great but it shouldn't be the only because this thing was designed to bring the best out of us to 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 make what only flashes at times times become true about you particularly in the spiritual world so when the passage says to make her holy and clean there's a lot of pressure on husbands there because that's the way we're supposed to love to bring the very best out of our wives. There's pressure on you as well, ladies, when you read that. <laughs> because in this relationship, uh, the men and the women are flawed. Uses this word in an earlier part of the passage. It says, it uses the word head. This is where everybody gets nervous when you read this passage. It says, for wives, this means to submit to your husbands as to the Lord. We spent a whole message on this not long ago in the He, She, His series. It was called partner. If you want to go back and listen to it, we dealt with that word submission, which is a powerful biblical word. But in verse 23, I love just to take a minute and talk about, for a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. If you're a theologian, you love the word headship. I think most people at church have no idea what headship means. What does it mean that the husband is the head of the wife? We shoot it straight here, right? That means he has final say. What do you think? You like that answer? <laughs> That's what it means. It means leadership. But <laughs> you can't read it all by itself, right? It is the beauty of the Scripture. So when Cheryl and I are together, I have the final say. I remember one of the arguments in the first couple years of marriage. We're arguing. <laughs> it felt like all night. I got to go work in the morning. We're, we're still going. I go, and I'll just look at it. I go, what are we going to do now? Like, how, how are we going to close this? I was hoping she'd quote this passage, and she didn't, right? Like, like what are we going to do now? Like, I, I got the final say here, right? Isn't that how this works? You read this passage, and you think about headship. It's it certainly, what, what I hope you hear in it is it brings this distinction between the genders by design of 
by God's design that holds male and female really high, that we're made different, we're equal, but we're distinct. The world don't want to hear that right now. Ladies, the world has its heart bent on stealing your identity as a female. It's been going on for centuries. It's escalated now. It wants to steal your design, the beauty of your design. And I believe that goes all the way to creation because you are the crescendo of all of creation. You are the very last thing created in the whole earth, right, looks to you for your beauty. And I believe that, the, that our culture and the cultures of the past want to steal that. That's why there's been crazy abuse of women throughout history. And even now as the enemy flips and works it another way, He wants to make you focus on just being equal to man instead of being male and female made in God's image. So when you read this passage, you you might go, man, so the husband is the final say. Well, then he says to the husband in the same sentence, which is funny how we missed this. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. Second sentence, my bad. He is the savior of his body, the church. He says that Christ is the Savior. I don't know if you remember. He's going to say it in the next couple verses. What did Christ have to do to save the church? He had to die. He died for her. says it explicitly. For husbands, this means that your wives, just as Christ loved the church, he gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean. So the husband has the final word, and yet he's never allowed to exercise that final say to please himself. Immediate accountability. Some of you have lived this out inappropriately. All of us have struggled to live it out, right? So if I'm supposed to have the final say, but I'm never supposed to exercise it to please myself, (laughs) that's complicated all by itself, right? Tim Keller tells the story of a husband and wife looking for a car. They agree on the car. The wife wants a red car, and the husband wants a blue car, all right? And so the husband, as he's arguing for the blue car, quotes Ephesians 5.22. For wives, this means to submit to your husbands as to the Lord. So we're going with the blue car. Right, we agreed on the car. How much can I give you? All right, we're going to get the blue car. And then the wife, in a very sweet way, looks back at him, and she quotes verse 25. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave us up his life for her. She's like, honey, I'm, I'm not asking for you to die right now. I just want a red car pretty good so if men if we're if we're the final say but we never exercise it to please ourselves guess what i got a whole lot of red cars i've had minivans i've had all kind of cars right like like at the end of the day it's not about me it's about her and i actually show this final say by the way i love and die to myself so i only overrule her when we're in a debate I'm not stating this like this the only time I ever, I like, like this is the principle, not what I do all the time. I only overrule her when it's best for the family. And there's been a couple occasions, not many in our marriage, where our difference of opinion, I was really passionate about it because I thought it was best for the family, and I held the line. Man, the other times, it was generally all about yours truly. Rarely worked out well. This is this relationship between two sinners, two selfish people, and over the course of time, like we're rubbing off the rough edges, and and potentially God could produce something beautiful out of the two of us. Beautiful or not, broken or fairly healthy. Right now, we did the test. We 
fairly healthy. You put a man and a woman up as a married couple, and God says, that's what it looks like. Christ in a church. You can't get around it. Saved, unsaved, that's what it looks like. Christ in the church. It's a pretty powerful passage in, in uh, 1 Corinthians. It's another book like Ephesians written to a different church in a different town. It's written to single and married. Chapter 7 is written to single and married folks. Um, pretty good read if you want, you want a little side read and read the whole, whole of chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians. But I'll just pull one verse out. Lots of folks in this room, you're, you're single right now and you're young and you're dreaming about the future. Some of y'all have been single for a long time and you're maybe settled where you are. You're frustrated one or the other. Some of y'all are single again. Lots of single folks in our room. A large percentage of folks. This is an interesting verse. He says, but I wish everyone was single. I wish everyone were single, just as I am, Paul the writer. Yet each person has a special gift from God of one kind or another. Really interesting second sentence. I wish everyone were single. Why is he saying that? Well, there's persecution going on at the time. So we think it's advantageous to be single because of persecution on the church. That'd be one reason. The other reason is Paul really seems to be arguing in this passage so that you won't be distracted. You know what Cheryl's going to want this afternoon? I don't know either, but something. She's going to want something, right? <laughs> she's going to want a whole dug in the yard. My daughter's coming soon. She, I do know what she wants this afternoon. I got to tape plastic over this big opening that I busted out a wall in before the grandbabies come. She's going to want something. And in the meantime, I can't be on mission because I'm going to be taping plastic on the wall in my house. Right? She's going to want something, and I'm going to want something from her. And so Paul's arguing, hey, man, if you're, if you're single, you don't have to worry about taping up that wall. You can just leave that mess, right, like we can move on and we get back to mission. I wish everyone were single, just as I am. But then it's really interesting, second verse. So if you're single, there's this possibility that you could leverage your life right now in a way that you can't when you're married. We, we have a group of folks here that do exactly that. It really all stars around here. You leverage your life on behalf of others, and we thank you for it to the glory of God. The second verse says that that is a special gift, that if you're single, and maybe, maybe you're single again right now. This is a season where God, as much as painful as that might be, some of you have lost spouses. Some have gone through a really hard divorce. Yet each person has a special gift from God. So for the single folks, particularly the celibate in this case, for the single folks, you have this special gift so you can leverage it. But who else is he talking about right there? Married folks. That this thing, me and Cheryl standing up here together as a part of Radius Church, when we think about Ephesians, in, in the context of the whole book, we are on the first half of the book. This is who we are in Christ, and this is what we do in Christ. Cheryl and I are in that together. The two of us are side by side. We do together. And this is our special gift, right? Like, we're this new entity. I was over here, and she was over here, and now we're merged together into one, and now we offer this to the church, and to the Midlands so that Cheryl and I have to make decisions based on, on our love for the Lord, but also on behalf of y'all. It's our job as a couple to serve to the glory of God. As distracted as I might be by putting some plastic up this afternoon, right? It's still what we do together. So when you read this passage and you really read the New Testament Man, in, in cultural, uh, in understanding the culture of, it, it's of the day, single folks, man, it just holds you high. 
It holds you high as a single man or woman in a room to get day. So on a Valentine's weekend when it's often awkward for single folks, man, the Bible says you got all this potential to serve him. And in a minute, it says, and he's offered you this amazing relationship, which is the ultimate relationship. For married folks, he goes, man, you got this, and this is beautiful. You're a picture of Christ in the church, so that when you go to the ball field, people are looking at you. You're a picture of Christ in the church, and yet you're still a part of this thing going forward. And as one flesh, you go forward to represent God. Ladies, I, I don't know if you understand how scandalous this passage is I just read. So, like, if you were growing up back when this is written, the book of Ephesians is written. Here's how society views you. This is a quote from one of the books I read. I I couldn't read a lot of them because they were so harsh. This is how people, men, thought of women. If they allowed you to live at birth, which certainly wasn't a guarantee if you were a lady, you'd be minimally educated, generally not educated at all. You could not be a witness in court. You could not adopt children. You could not make a contract. You could not own property. You couldn't inherit anything even if you were the only child. As a woman, they would give it to a slave or some male around the home. That's how culture viewed it. There's a, a rabbi, so this is a, a rabbi would be very educated man of the time. This is what he said about women. This is one of the nicest quotes I could find. Do not talk much with a woman, not even with one's wife. That's, that's how women were viewed in the culture when this was written when, when Paul's writing this to the Ephesians and he's writing this to the Corinthians, that's how women were viewed. And, and Paul comes in here and says, what about, what about men? Supposed to hold their wife high like Christ holds the church high. He uses this word love that most folks in the culture of that time would never say that they'd love their wives. He admonishes us as men, shoot, in those times, it was crazy to say that type of thing about women. So the Bible, like, set this whole new stage for women. So all the, when, you, when you hear the arguments that the Bible is, degrades women, that, it's actually the exact opposite of that. It holds women high. We really try to do that here at Radius. Our church tends to be fairly masculine. We talk kind of that way up front. We talk a lot about sports and and fishing and hunting and working, like, like that's because that's kind of who we, we, we're not, we don't apologize for that, but at the same time, we want to hold our ladies high. We want this to be the safest place you've been all week. Hopefully, your home is safe because your husband or your family holds you safely there. We're thankful for you. This, the church, from its very inception, gave women the opportunity to use their gifts in it was transformative as men and women work shoulder to shoulder and transform the whole world by sharing the gospel. Today, just as a, a token, it's Valentine's Day, just as a token, uh, we, we got a little gift for you. When you go out, ladies, there's a table set up, and we'd love for you to grab a gift, whether you're married, single, whether you're a child. We, we just want to say thank you for being a lady in a world that keeps trying to take the legs out from under you. So grab one on your way out. Marriage will be something we're going to experience again. Hopefully uh, many of you maybe been married once, and you'll finish life in this married state. But one day the church is going to be married to Jesus. 
Like, on, on one hand, it's like Christ in the church, so we're already married. But on the other hand, there's going to be this great feast that Russell talked about just a little bit ago. Like, this great feast. It's going to be this marriage feast, and it's going to be on. I can still remember standing right here and Cheryl coming down the aisle and me being like, whoa, what am I going to do? Christ is going to stand at the front in anticipation of us, the church, right? All the people that have believed in him over the course of the existence of this planet, he's going to stand here with that, shoot, not with that kind of joy, with much more joy and anticipation of being with the church forever. And we, the church, we're going to march down that aisle. And he actually thinks we're beautiful. He's stunned by our beauty. He made us beautiful. He's stunned by our beauty. He's leaning forward in anticipation of a day when we're finally together. And so if you're single and it gives you this potential and you, you really want to be married, it gives you potential to, like, I got, a, I got a better marriage coming, though. So it helps you wait. It helps you look forward to that marriage. For some of you that are a little afraid of getting married someday, it actually can still some of that fear because this is the ultimate marriage, right? Like I'm looking forward to the ultimate marriage when I walk in and I'm dropped off and I'm walking down the aisle and there's Jesus waiting on me. And if you're married, it puts a little pressure on you because we're supposed to be this picture of that day that's to come. Not just at the beginning, but the whole way through our marriage is supposed to represent the deep love of Christ for the church. That's a good pressure. So if you can, this afternoon, take that little test I gave you. Just look in the mirror. Be honest with one another and go, Here's, where, where are we at now? We've been married 11 years. Where are we at now? We've been married 17 years. Where are we at now? And like Cheryl just did with me, what's one thing? 2022, don't make your list, right? Like, <laughs> don't make your list. It's not going to go well. Uh, if you're going to be married well, then you can look at a weakness and work on one. Turns out I, I probably need to be a little more affirming. A little more, maybe a lot more affirming. I, I learned this trick from Tom Wood. You can steal it from me if you want. Tom Wood was an elder here. He's a little bit older than me, and he was trying to learn how to affirm Polly. So he hides uh, this sticky note pad in his drawer beside his toothpaste. And he's got a Sharpie in there, and he'll pull it out. He does this every morning. He writes her a note and sticks it on the mirror. So I, I followed suit. I found this something Cheryl keeps asking for, and I'm not very good at it. So I stick the sticky note thing in there by my toothpaste and toothbrush. And when I, when I pull my toothpaste out in the morning, I got to look at the sticky th- tack thing, right? It reminds me. I don't write it every day or even every other day, but when I do, it means the world to her. I don't fully understand. Sometimes I got a little toothpaste on it, right? Like I got a Sharpie. I can only write like seven words on it, which is good for me, right? Like, but when I stick that on her mirror and first show her love, she lights up. If you open up the cabinets in our bathroom, the cabinets have all the sticky notes in order all the way across. Like she keeps them all. She don't throw them away. I don't know why that is. But if she likes it that much, I probably ought to do it more, right? And when I do, I write that little note and stick it on the mirror. Who do I look like? I look like Christ, who writes us notes daily, who wants relationship, who speaks highly of of us as jacked up as we are, right? His word over and over talks about us as being clean and spotless, all because of his work. We didn't even do any work. That's how he views us, and he communicates that to us daily. Husbands, I know you got 
some of y'all that were here and got noticed, ladies, forgive me if they weren't here, they didn't know, I, I had them write a little card. And uh, you, you can hand it to your wife while we do uh, communion. Some of y'all got 24 hours, you can go get a card on the way out and work on this. Yours has got to be better, bro. You're late, right on both sides, right? Like, right on both sides. <laughs> Some of y'all didn't know it all, it's cool. Shoot, you don't have to be married to do this. You can send it to your mother. Mean the world to her. Uh, every Sunday we do this in remembrance of Christ's death on the cross that gave us an opportunity to know him as our Savior, and we look forward to that final marriage feast. But I'm going to tell you, the way we relate to one another is making a difference in this town. And so even as you sit with your husband or your wife on the, on the road, you're doing something similar to this. It reminds us of Christ's deep love for the church. Let's pray together.